What is up, everybody? This is the Everything Medicare Podcast. This is episode 80. I'm your host, Christian Brindle, where every single week I bring you a podcast where I discuss your Medicare, your Medicaid, your Social Security, and everything that has to do with that golden age called retirement. And today, I have a very, very special episode I want to bring to you. And today, I have two gentlemen on the phone by the names of Nick Frumpkin and Matt Murray. Nick and Matt host a YouTube channel together called The Insurance Panel, which is mainly where they discuss you know, how agents can succeed and do well at marketing and helping beneficiaries with final expense burial insurance. And I really, really was interested in having these guys on because we haven't had a whole lot of conversations on this podcast about final expense. So just a little bit of background about Nick and Matt, and then I'll bring them in and we'll have a great conversation with them that I think every single person will be able to benefit from. So Nick has been doing final expense insurance um, since 2014. And before that, he worked for two years doing supplemental insurance for combined insurance. Um, while he was there, he learned how to wor- work with people on Medicare. So he does help people with Medicare as well, but final expense is his main focus. Um, Nick has been featured in David Duford's book, who's going to be on with us next week. Um, and he's been featured on as a keynote speaker for the National Underwriting Service Agency Conference in 2018. And he's just worked with a lot of people, helped a lot of people with their final expense plans, and he's a real expert in the industry. Matt Murray, on the other hand, is the current national sales trainer for final expense sales for IFG. Previous to Previous to that, he was the regional sales director for Security National Life, so a a very impressive resume for both of these guys. Um, Matt built a reputation through social media and, you know, being savvy on reaching people through that, those different various platforms. Um, He's regarded as one of the top final expense trainers for agents working today in the field. Um, And Matt is in the process of picking up his health license, but right now we're going to be talking about final expense. How are you gentlemen doing today? Doing great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. And we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to kind of talk to my audience about a topic that doesn't get talked about enough, I feel. Probably not. Yeah, it, it seems like it's, uh, it's the, the unspoken product in the industry. I don't know. People don't like to deal with death and dying, I suppose. You know, it's it's one of those things that nobody really wants to talk about. Nobody really wants to talk about final expense because, you know, for lack of a better term, final expense is is burials, cremations, and things like that. It's nothing anybody ever wants to talk about, but it's something that we need to talk about because it's inevitable. It's one of the things that are going to happen to us. Death and taxes are the only two things that are inevitable in this this entire country or the entire world, so gonna happen we gotta be prepared for it right right i i couldn't agree more with you and i think you know you see you you see you see a lot of people that are prepared for it but you see a lot of people that aren't and they wish they had been or their families wish they had been and it's 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 something that's an important topic to discuss so i'm gonna jump right in here um i want you each to kind of talk about your background and a little bit about your your story and how you got into the insurance industry and nick i want to start with you on that how did you get into the insurance industry in in, in general 
Uh, I got into the insurance industry like a lot of people did, um, kind of accidentally. Um, you know, nobody wakes up and says, uh, I want to be a life insurance agent when I grow up yeah. or a little kid. Um, but uh, I, I, I have a degree in theater arts. I ran a theater program for a while. Um, I have a master's in, in education. I was a teacher for a bit. And one thing led to another. Uh, I was really frustrated with working three part-time teaching jobs because when you're a theater teacher, you don't get a lot of job opportunities anymore. And um, I was really frustrated with that and decided I needed to take a break and do something else and got hired by Combined Insurance. Um, who do supplemental products. They do stuff like Aflac does. Aflac is more famous, but um, it's the same type of thing, you know. If you get hurt, they pay type of a thing. Um, and they kind of taught me the ins and outs of how the insurance industry works. And it turns out that my background, both in theater and education, actually make me pretty qualified to be working with uh, the general public and teaching them um, and working in kind of a consultative uh, capacity to make sure that people understand what their options are and what their needs are. Um, so after working specifically for them for a couple of years, I realized that I was never going to be able to offer everybody that I met the best product for them because I only had what the one insurance company had to offer. And so I decided, after having spoken to a lot of people, um, that it's the best thing to do would probably be to branch out and become independent. Um, when I did that, I already knew and was familiar with working with seniors, working with people who were retired, uh, working with people on fixed incomes, because I'd spent about nine months at Combined, working almost exclusively uh, in their Medicare department working in their, with their senior services. Um, and so I was really comfortable with that market. And so I went into final expense because there was an opportunity there that that was attractive to me. Um, it was a little bit change of pace. Uh, I never gave up doing Medicare. I still do Medicare. I do Medicare regularly. I have um, a, a reasonably sized book of Medicare business that I service but that's pretty much referral-based. Um, I don't pursue Medicare business anymore other than what my existing book of business kind of, their friends and relatives and everybody calls me. Um, and I help people now with final expense and I really love it. Um, largely because it is something that people kind of don't want to talk about, but need to and know they need to talk about. And it's such, it's such a weight off of people's mind um, so many times when, when you end up when you end up actually getting them the coverage that they need and it's affordable for them and it's not this big, scary, overwhelming process. It's very simple. It's very direct. Um, and it's just taken care of. And it's, it's, I really like doing that. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's so interesting, you know, your, your background, your story, you know, cause an educator is always an educator, you know, and an educator wants to educate people in ways that they feel are going to benefit them. And I think that's great stuff that you're doing and great work and helping people with something they need help with. Um, I'm going to switch gears over to you, Matt. Now talk about your story and how you got in the insurance industry. Absolutely. And that was a great story, Nick. I didn't know the background of your teaching and everything. 
mine's a mine's a little bit different. Uh, you know, I I barely got out of high school. Um, I I didn't go to college, and so I've I've always just been a, a very hardworking individual my entire life. And uh, I ended up becoming a finance manager and having a block of business that I ran about an eight million dollar ledger. Um, something happened with that job, and, and that job was consumer finance. So it was loans that you couldn't get from a bank because your credit wasn't too great, and you definitely didn't want to go to a title max or something similar to that where they have 300% interest loans. So it was kind of the people that had uh, on fixed incomes that didn't have the greatest credit history. Uh, those are my clientele. And I, I took that job because I thought I wanted to teach people how to manage their money and get their credit fixed. What I didn't realize until about a year in is that uh, my job essentially was to keep people in debt for as long as possible, and I couldn't sleep well at night. And uh, nobody ever, like Nick said, nobody ever prays at night saying, you know, I want to I want to be a final expense agent full time. <laughs> um, but I, I, I found somebody and, I, and they told me that, you know, I get to talk to these senior citizens about funerals. And I said, hey, man, are you still doing that same thing? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I'm, I'm coming to work. So I, I learned about it. I realized, you know, how important it was even at a young age. I was 25 when I first started. I realized how important it was because a month after I started, my uncle passed away and I found out that he had nothing. He was 50 years old uh, and he passed away overnight and he had nothing. And it was an absolute nightmare trying to figure out who's going to pay for a cremation because if you're on a fixed income, you just don't have a whole lot of money to spend. Uh, and there's not really a whole lot in savings as well. So a final expense product is going to help take care of, you know, exactly that for a very low affordable cost. And uh, I, I got really good at it. I got really good on social media and I started training people uh, and breaking it down to make the sales process easier for the agents. But also the way that I broke it down to the clients, it made it very simple and very understanding and a lot simpler because they would sometimes the clients would tell me, Matt, I've had 20 agents come by, but nobody explained it the way that you did. I feel a lot better I feel a lot more understanding of what this really is instead of just insurance because final expense is not just insurance. It's a whole different type of insurance. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I love it. I love it. And, um, well, you know, one thing that both of you guys said was, you know, insurance, insurance, maybe not. And then you mentioned just specifically final expense insurance agent, but no one an insurance agent in general has never looked at it as a sexy career. I mean, I know, when I had, yeah, when I mean for myself, you know, me, what I have in common with, you know, Cody Askins, who I've had on, and Justin Brock, who I've had on, is all three of us are second generation insurance agents. Our, our, our dads before us worked in the industry and we kind of came into it through that. And um, it's not something you grow up with, especially when you see, you know, a parent doing it. You're like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. You know, you don't you don't ever see a kid who wants to be a firefighter one day, next day wants to be an insurance agent. But, you know, it's important work we do. Um, it's not sexy, but you know, here it is. No, it's true. Uh, I mean, and I mean, I, I I don't bring this up often, but my dad was also. I'm I am sort of second generation. Oh wow! My dad does very wow. different things. Yeah, my dad does very different types of things than what I what I do. Um, or he did. I guess he's retired now. But, um, you know, he does full-on retirement planning. 
And I can actually specifically remember him coming home from work one day when I was like eight years old and looking at me and going, you know, Nick, don't ever follow in your father's footsteps. Um, <laughs> this is not a job that you want to have. I'm like, wow. Um, and that's a memory that's really stuck with me. Um, and, but, uh, but it's, it's actually, it's not, it's not a bad way to make your living. Um, I get where he was coming from though. There are some times when you come home and you feel like, what have I gotten myself into? But, um, but you know, Matt, Matt brought up the point of like his uncle, um, who didn't have anything covered. And like it, that's so resonant for me because I hear people tell that a variation on that story every single day. Um, like I, like literally yesterday I went and I saw an existing client who called me up and said, Hey Nick, I need more insurance coverage. My mom just died. Now this is a lady who's in her early sixties, you know, her mom was in her nineties and I call and she said, my mom just died and her funeral was so much more expensive than I ever thought. The, the $8,000 of life insurance that I have isn't going to be enough. I need to increase my coverage. So I went out and I'm sitting down and talking with her. And I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of, you know, I've known her for a while. So I'm asking her, you know, like, so what's she doing? How, how are, how are you now that your mom's died? How's things? And it turns out her mom had life insurance. Um, but it expired when she turned 90 and she didn't know it and her kids didn't know it. And her kids all thought that she had this $15,000 life insurance policy. Um, that it turns out she died at 91 and they had to come up with the $15,000 funeral that her mom had planned oh, all man. on their own. And, and like none of them are doing really well financially. This is not a family of like even middle income earners. Um, and so it was a real struggle for them to pull that $15,000 together. Um, and they managed it, but it's, uh, it's hard. You know, you know what I also learned too is, is and this is a story that resonates with me because it just happened. My grandmother, who was 99 years old, uh, recently passed, I mean, within a few weeks ago. And, and everybody called me because I'm, I'm the insurance man around the house or around, around the parks. And we, I found out that she had a $20,000 whole life, uh, final expense policy. And it, it was beautiful because I know funerals. I know how they work. I was able to get the funeral done for a decent cost. But there's also other costs that people don't realize. Flying family in, if she, she passed away on a Wednesday, we had to fly family in uh, to be there for Saturday across the country. And the family members didn't have $1,000 for a round-trip certificate on Wednesday. So that life insurance policy actually paid to get the family there, relieving the cost of everything for everybody. So it was really Amazing. wonderful that she had – go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, in bereavement, airline tickets are not, like, cheap anymore. Like, you don't get a discount because you're going to a funeral like you used to. I mean, it, yeah. I, I was shocked when my grandfather died to find out that I needed to, you know, and I needed to go out, like, with two days' notice to his funeral. Um, and I, not only did I not get a discount, they charged me extra for booking late. Like, like yep. it, it sucks. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, and, and, no question. The the one thing about a final expense policy is, and this is important, is that $20,000 for my grandmother that, that my, my aunt received, um, it came in in like 24 or 48 hours. So like mm-hmm. when she passed away on Wednesday, we had an overnight check to us and it got there Friday. So we had a check by Friday. She passed away Wednesday at 12. 
and we had a check on Friday for the $20,000, and then we were able to pay, you know, for everybody's, for the arrangements, for the flight, and everything else. We took everybody out to dinner. It was just really nice to not have to worry about money in that situation, where some life insurance companies um, will take months. I've seen three months to pay for certain life insurance, you know, for life insurance companies to pay. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, no, designed to pay over twenty four to forty eight hours. Yeah, no, and that's and that's and that's really really important. Is you know you want to make sure that you have the right kind of insurance and that you're with companies that are keyed in to wanting to pay claims quickly because they know it's being used for funeral costs and that there isn't a lot of time to hang out and wait. Um, and that's that's always a big deal, you know. Again, nobody likes to talk about death and dying, and I really feel like we're probably hurting your podcast numbers because we're <laughs> so right up top. But it's it's true. Like you know, at, at the end of the day, having that immediate payout, you know, being able to say send off a death certificate and then forty eight hours later have a check in your hand, that's a big deal. Oh yeah, um, that's a life changer know. for a lot of people because you know, like you guys yeah. accurately pointed out. Funerals don't happen in a week or two or three months or something like that. Funerals happen instantly in a lot of cases. So I, I completely yeah. understand where you're coming from. Um, guy, guys, let me shift gears to this because this is a question that I really wanted to touch on. And I was really fascinated to hear your guys' interest um, – well, your answers, excuse me, about this. Um, so we talk a lot about Medicare on this podcast. But today, like, you know, today's the, the final expense day. Um, so since this is the, a Medicare podcast, I want both of you guys to tell me and talk about to the audience why someone on Medicare should want to pick up a final expense plan. Why do they need something like that? How do they co- coincide? Sure. Um, who would you like to go first? Or should e- we just start e- either talking? one. Either one. It doesn't matter to me. Go ahead, Nick. Okay. Um, I, I think that it's a really important thing that almost everybody, I don't say everybody, everybody, not everybody, everybody needs a final expense plan, but almost everybody does. The value of the final expense plan, aside from, you know, getting a check instantly when you die, is that money that gets paid out by it is tax-free money. It avoids probate, it avoids any litigation, it avoids any kind of legal hassles that might result from money being left in a bank account, even if it's a joint bank account. It's also, if you set it up correctly, it can be set up so that it is protected, so that if you end up in a nursing home, you end up going on Medicaid, and I don't care how many assets you have, if you end up in a nursing home, you will eventually end up on Medicaid unless you go into that nursing home just days before you die. Go into the nursing home with $5 million in assets and you spend two years in there, you're on Medicaid. Um, you wanna make, and Medicaid's gonna start seizing all of your assets. Um, so, Unless you have really good long-term care insurance in place already, and you know it's never going to drop, um, unless you already have prepaid your funeral with a funeral home in a single lump sum payment, unless you already have a large amount of assets set aside, 
uh, in trust. Um, and you're completely set up with that kind of legacy planning put together and you've got the legal team in place and, and everybody to kind of put your financial assets together like that, you need to have a final expense plan because there will be final expenses. Um, maybe your kids will pay for it. I don't know that that's a fair thing to burden your kids with, but maybe. Um, a lot of times kids will say, hey, I want to do this for you, mom and dad. Don't worry about it. I'll pay for your funeral costs, which is great. Um, I don't care who you are. It, it, it's, you know, dropping $15,000 at the drop of a hat is hard for anybody. Um, that's a lot of money. Uh, so if your kids are multi, multi-millionaires, then okay, maybe they'll pay for it for you. Um, sure. and but, here's, here's another caveat to that is I've had a couple, couple clients or a couple, uh, family members of clients that said, you know, well, I know exactly what my mother wants to do or I've got it all handled, but everybody's a rocket scientist until it's time to go to the moon. Well, yeah. You know, and those same those same people that told me they had it when that client passed away, and it, it happens. I've had clients pass away. Um, those same people who had it all together are the first ones calling me and saying, "I have no clue what to do." And that's right. why I said, "That's why I'm here. That's what I'm supposed to be doing is help plan this and fund this, so you don't have to worry about it." The only people, like Nick said, the only people that don't need a final expense policy are people that legitimately just have too much money to not ever have to worry about it. But the thing, going back to the bank thing, too, is, um, and this goes back to my grandmother, she didn't have a beneficiary on her bank account. Now, my grandmother was financially uh, free, and she actually ended up having about $100,000 stashed away between three accounts. But no one was able to get that month access quickly because she didn't mm-hmm. have a beneficiary on her bank account. So no will. That no money will. was frozen. And would st- yeah, there's no will. And, she, and still to this day, this is three weeks after her passing, there's still $100,000 that's sitting in these bank accounts that we're still trying to fight to get to to disperse to, you know, whoever, you know, the, the family that's left behind. So that's a very important part. So this, it's a tax-free benefit. It pays out immediately, and it's there to cover any expenses that you may incur during the final part of your life, which is mostly your funeral or cremation costs. I mean, and the reality is, is in a situation like your grandma's, it, it could realistically take another six to nine months before anybody is able to touch that money. For sure. And um, when you get a hold of that money, it, you're going to get taxed on receiving it as though you had received income like you've gotten a paycheck from an employee. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I mean, it is what it is. That's just the way the world works. You know, you get money, you pay taxes, unless you get a life insurance claim. It's the only way you can leave money to your, it's the only way you can leave money to your heirs without them ever having to pay taxes on it. It's 100% tax-free, and it's the only option to do it. Yeah, and to answer your question fully, Christian, it's like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. <laughs> if you're going to get one, you should definitely have the other. I agree. you got to have it. I agree. I agree completely, you guys, and I think you made some great points. I think I think a lot of it, you know, um, also comes down to 
you know, finances, you know, um, parent, you know, parents look at their kids a lot of times that they have so much time to, you know, build up their finances. But, you know, we have to be realistic and honest about finances in our country today. You know, half of the population lives paycheck to paycheck, even more have less than a thousand dollars saved to their name, you know, so there's not a whole lot of people walking around that, that like, 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 like both of you accurately pointed out that can just, you know, drop 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand. Um, if it was an extravagant funeral, I guess it could be that much, but, um, it's, it's, it's hard. I for think people. I read a statistic recently. I think I read a statistic recently that most Americans, something like 60% of Americans couldn't pay an unexpected $700 bill. I believe it. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you're not even going to get somebody cremated for that, but like, that's, that's a, that's a reality that we have to deal with. Um, you know, so I, I, uh, one of my friends, uh, likes to, likes to tell all of the people that he sits down with, you know, that he appreciates them doing the responsible thing and taking care of their kids. So their kids don't have to take care of them. And I mean, that's a nice, I mean, that's a, that's the right way to think about it. I think, you know, um, it is responsible to take care of these expenses in advance. Um, it's just like having a term insurance policy on your house. You know, when, when you're younger and you buy a house and then you get a term insurance policy so that if, if you die, your husband or wife doesn't end up homeless, it's the same thing, you know, except, you know, you're going to die someday. You're going to have to be buried. You're going to have to have a funeral. Even if you donate your body to science, something is going to happen when you die. Um, it's just the responsible thing to do. Definitely. Definitely. Well, well, um, I, I, I agree with both of you completely on that. I'm a big advocate of final expense and just life insurance as a whole. I'm covered in life insurance. My daughter's covered in life insurance. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm not only a believer, I'm also a practicer of what I preach and what you guys are preaching. But uh, Nick, you mentioned term insurance. I wanted to kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to um, piggyback off of that into our, into the next question I had for the two of you. And that is people are always hearing the argument between whole life insurance versus term insurance. I'm wondering where do you both fall in that debate and why? And Matt, I want to start with you on this one. Okay. Um, if you're over, honestly, and, and this is, me, if you're over the age of about 60 years old, you definitely need to get a whole life insurance policy. Because, the, and, I, and this is how I break it down to every one of my clients, terms, not terms, like the president, no matter how much we hate or love the president, at the end of the president's term, that person has got to go away. Nobody has ever made it past eight years, and nobody ever will, because that's how term works. Now, as and the and term is great while it's there. It might be a 10-year term. It might be a 20-year term. It might be a 30-year term. But what's going to happen is those premiums are going to go from, say, 50 or or $100 a month to astronomical rates because you're going to be at the end of, say, a 30-year term if you got it when you were 40 and when you turn 70 for the same $200,000, you're going to get charged what it's going to cost for $200,000 at a 70-year-old rate. So you're going to go from 100 bucks over $1,500 overnight. And most people cannot take the increase. And so what ends up happening is that money that you just spent for the last 30 years is gone and you have nothing. 
with whole life, it sounds just like it says. It's good for your whole life. doesn't matter if you live tomorrow or if you live to be 100 years old, like my grandmother, or 99 years old. She had it when she was like 68, I believe, is when she got that policy. And she paid on it every month, and it was there for her whole life. Mm-hmm. But she got locked in at a 60-year-old rate. So that premium never increases and it's going to build cash value. Now, cash value is something that we can get into later, but if you're over the age of 60, I'm a big proponent of you need to get a whole life policy. Makes sense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I, I, I would, I'd, I'd agree pretty much down the line with that. Um, uh, a way to think about it again, um, something that somebody else said, but, uh, at, at its core, Term life insurance is temporary insurance. You use temporary insurance to cover temporary needs, like the, you know, the mortgage insurance. You know, I've got, I've got a life insurance policy. I've got a term policy on myself to cover my mortgage. Um, when my mortgage is done, I'm getting rid of my term policy. I don't need it anymore. Um, your funeral, the fact that you're going to die, that's not a temporary situation. That's coming. Um, that's, that's something that's going to happen eventually. Now, I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't think anybody out there that is listening to this knows when they're going to die. If you know when you're going to die, that makes things easier. But if you don't, you should have permanent protection that's going to cover you immediately in case something happens to you tomorrow and for the rest of your life. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to only be covered until you're 80 or to only be covered until you're 85. Or like my client's mother, only be covered until she's 90. I mean, there's a lot of people who say to me, oh God, I'm never gonna live to make to see 90. I don't need to worry about that. And I say, you know, you still need permanent insurance because what if you live to the day after your 90th birthday? Yep. Um, and, and you just don't know. And here's the thing I found out when I'm sitting with clients, people don't know what type of policy they have. I say, do you have a term or hold? And they say, I don't know. And I say, well, how much coverage is it? They'll say it's $150,000. And I say, how much are you paying a month? And they tell me, you know, I'm mad. I'm paying 60 bucks a month. And I said, when did you get it? So uh, I end up doing the math for them. I'm like, look, why would a company pay out $150,000 if you've only paid $45,000 into it? And they said, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. I said, it doesn't make sense for the company. So that term is, it, I, I just know when people have a term, just based on the numbers that they tell me, and I find out that people don't know. And when I show them, and we'll pull out the policy, and I'll look at it, and it says schedule of premiums, and it goes from $150 a month to at that 30-year, 20-year mark, or whatever it was set, the premium skyrockets so high, and it's usually more than a person's income at that age. Yeah. When you get to a retirement age and you are on a fixed income, whether it be Social Security, disability, retirement income and annuity income, any of those things set up, you just have a fixed income. And generally it's going to be either 50% or all of your monthly income for just a premium for life insurance. And then the term goes from 30 years to every five years and then to every year where the premiums start increasing every year. And so it forces you out of your policy. It's, it's just, it's scary to watch when people don't know what they've been paying for and that all their money that they paid into it is gonna go away eventually. And it's great while you're like me, a 29 year old 
young guy who's perfectly healthy, but at the end of my term, I'm going to have already have another whole life insurance because I understand this part of it. But at the end of that term, I'm not going to need that policy anymore. It's not going to be good for me. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, and sorry. No, no, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Didn't mean to cut uh, you off. I was going to say, I, I, wa- I wanted to head off um, the argument that some of the people who are listening might be thinking to themselves, which is, you know, there might be people who are out there who are listening who are big fans of David Ramsey or um, have talked to somebody who has told them, you know, um, don't buy a whole life policy, buy a term and invest the rest. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to break down sort of what that means and what you should be doing and what that reality is. Um, if, if that's something that you're thinking and what, and what you heard, because a lot of times people hear that and they say, okay, so instead of spending, I don't know, instead of spending $400 a month on a several hundred thousand dollar whole life policy, I'll spend $50 a month on a several hundred dollar a month term policy. And then I get to save that money. Um, but the reality is, is unless you actually take the difference in what a hundred thousand dollars in term would be and a uh, hundred thousand dollars in whole life and actually start investing those premiums into the stock market, then the whole system falls apart. Um, but beyond that, uh, once you are retirement age and you are starting to live off of your savings, every investing strategy that you've ever heard of kind of goes out the window because they're all accumulation strategies and you need to start thinking about disbursement strategies. Um, you know, I'm not anybody on, the, on this podcast who's listening to financial planner. But it is something that you need to make sure that if you have a financial planner that you're working with, that they're taking into account. Um, you need to make sure that you're protected in case you do end up on Medicaid, in case you end up in a nursing home and you end up having to divest all your assets. Um, it is it is an unfortunate reality for most people. Um, so it's just, it's term and whole life, they do different things. Definitely. Uh, they both have their uses. Definitely, um, definitely. Well, anybody, yeah. I'm, I yeah. mean, I mean, I think, I think you know, you guys make a lot of good points, and um, you know, when I, I, I think another thing that comes to mind for me anyway is when for for someone that's on Medicare age, let's just talk about the Medicare people for a second. People on Medicare, you know, sixty five and older, you know, a lot of them when they start looking at whole life, you know, they'll be seventy plus. For someone like that that picks up a term, they really typically won't be able to get a 30-year term. They'll probably be stuck with maybe a 10 to 15-year because a lot of carriers won't take them at that point. And right. if they, let's say they pick up a 10-year. So they get covered till they're 80. And then by the, the during that time period, statistics show more often than not, someone on Medicare might develop some kind of health problem. Their health might deteriorate. It might be tougher to get a, a, a decent final expense plan at that far advanced stage in your life. So I, I, I think you guys make a lot of great points. You get it when you're younger, the premium stays lower, and you don't have the risk of losing it. So I, it, I, I, I definitely see where you guys are coming from, and I think it's a very valid argument. Yeah, I think I speak for, for most of the viewers here. It's, you know, around the age of 55, 60 years old, things start to slow down on your body. You don't recover as quickly. 
you start taking more medicine. The more an insurance, I always tell people, is based on three things: your age today, your health today, and your medications today. And if all three of those things don't add up, you can't get insurance. And it's a lot harder to qualify for term insurance when you're older, sicker, and and tobacco use as well. And older, sicker, and the more medicines you take. If you've got a certain medication with term you're just disqualified yourself for a term policy. So the more medicine, it's just the reality. So around that age of 55, 60, when things start slowing down, uh, you know, even past 65, it's just going to be really hard to qualify for a term. And if you do qualify for a term, you also need to get yourself a whole life policy. And if you have to get a term because you still have a mortgage and you don't want that, then get a mixture of the two. That's perfectly fine. But you need to get the whole life in place as soon as possible. Yeah. No, and th- and that's the thing. When most when when I sit down with somebody for uh, for a meeting and they say what I really want is term, the first thing that I zero in on is okay, what is the temporary need that you have that is that you're going to need this term for? You know, do you have a mortgage? Um, are you worried about replacing your income for the next couple of years before you retire? Um, you know what's do you actually have a real temporary need? Um, and if you don't have a real temporary need, terms just not going to do it for you. Right, right. Would 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 it be fair to say, guys? And um, just to to point it to paint it in a different perspective, would it be fair to say that the the best person for a final expense plan is someone that's older? And maybe a term policy makes more sense to someone that's younger that might have a mortgage or some other type of, you know, debt or something like that, that they don't want to leave their spouse or anything like that. Would that be a fair assessment? 100%. Yeah, I would say that's a fair assessment. Okay. Well, let, let's 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 change topics. Let's switch gears just to keep it moving along just so I get all the questions in. Um, okay, so... This is something I was interested to hear your guys' opinion about. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have my own opinions about it, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. People on the podcast hear plenty of me. I'm sure they're sick of me at this point. Um, What is your guys' opinion on guaranteed issue final expense policies that people might see on TV commercials, the ones that don't ask health questions? What limitations might those come with that the average person might not be aware of? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start and then Nick, if you want to follow me. Yeah, sure. Um, with, with how many life insurance companies there are that, that do final expense and whole life insurance, like we're talking about, generally only I and Nick might have a better statistic, but five to maybe 7% of people need to get a guaranteed issue. And that's because that person is on oxygen with congestive heart failure. They have dementia or something like that that is a uh, this person is you know supposed to be passing away soon that's what the guaranteed issue product is for but the other 93 percent of people can get a level coverage policy which means there's no two-year wait period when you when you get a guaranteed issue product that means they're willing to take anybody however it's going to come with more premiums and it's going to come up with a two-year wait, which means if something happens to you one year, 11 months, and 18 days in your policy, 
that company is only going to pay back the premiums that you paid into it plus 10%. But other yep. than that, you need to have a, a you, you need to look for a first day coverage policy if you're healthy enough. Yeah, and and what I would say to to add on to that is um, if you are listening to this and you are on kidney dialysis, if you are currently being treated for cancer, um, if you have just in the last year had a heart attack, uh, if you are using oxygen equipment to assist in breathing, and even then, not always, uh, if you have AIDS or HIV, and even then, not always, or if you've had an organ transplant, those are the only reasons why you should ever, ever look at a policy that asks no health questions. Um, there are a few exceptions where if you have a combination of serious illnesses that you should maybe look at them also, but it, I mean, that's rare. Um, and it has to be a pretty heavy combo of, 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 of uh, things. Um, the reality is, is that those guaranteed issue policies are so dramatically expensive. There's one famous one that advertises that it's 9.99 to get life insurance, which sounds like a great deal until you realize that you get less than $1,000 on average per person uh, for, for your 9.99 a month. Um, you get one unit and your unit is based on your age. And for most people, a unit is just slightly under $1,000 coverage. So if you wanted a $10,000 policy, you're paying about 99 bucks a month, which for most people is outrageously expensive for a $10,000 policy. It's the most expensive insurance you can buy. They do a really good job of positioning it to make it sound cheap. Um, and then you do have that two-year waiting period, which most people don't need. But more importantly, it costs you a lot more. Um, so the big deal is if you can answer a handful of pretty simple health questions and they, they really are, you just need to be in reasonably good health. You don't need to be in perfect health. You don't need to even be in very good health. You need to be reasonably healthy. You, you yeah, qualify to put it, To give an example, my my last client that I wrote up um, on Wednesday, uh, I sat down with. She had lower blood pressure medications. She has some cholesterol medication. She's diabetic. She takes some metformin, the big old horse, white horse pill looking thing, um, <laughs> and she takes uh, a, a couple other things. Right? I mean, I, I'm speaking language that people know. But she was like, there's no way I'm going to get coverage. And I looked at her and I showed her the screen. I said, look, you're going to get not only coverage, you're going to get a level benefit, the first day coverage, and you're actually a preferred policy based on what you're telling me. So you're going to get the best rates with this company. It's going to be if you pass away tomorrow, your family's going to get $17,000 because that's what you told me fits in your budget. Yeah. And so she got $17,000 and she, and she was 67 years of age and she passes away tomorrow. Her family is getting $17,000. And, and that's why I went really and specifically listed out health conditions because so many people think that they have health conditions that disqualify them from being insured. People have even been told sometimes by other insurance agents that they are uninsurable and that the only thing they can qualify for is a guaranteed issue policy. And the reality is, is most of the time that's not true. The agent is just being lazy. 
Um, and for a lot of agents, it's just easier to write up a guaranteed issue policy and walk away and call it a day. Um, again, it's, if you're breathing on an oxygen tank, usually there are ways that you can get not a guaranteed issue policy if you're on oxygen, but that's harder. But it's possible. Um, if you have just in the last year had a heart attack, if you have, if you are currently being treated for cancer, um, or if you've been treated for cancer in the last two years, if you have AIDS or HIV, or if you've had an organ transplant, and in some cases, if you've had congestive heart failure, and again, there's a little bit of a gray area there. Um, it's actually possible to get U-level coverage, but it's tricky, and there's it, it's not a slam dunk that you'll qualify. But um, those are really the only conditions that you should ever be saying, hey, I'm uninsurable, I need to go for a guaranteed issue policy. Otherwise, you can always do better. Always. Certainly. I mean, I think, you know, all three of us probably could agree that so many people end up picking up a plan like that simply for the fact because they don't know some of those um, deterrents. You know, they don't know the two-year waiting period and then the refund of the premium. They don't know. Mm-hmm. You know they, and, and, and that's just the, the, the fact of the matter. And that's And that comes with, you know, people jumping into an advertisement without knowing all the facts. Um, One sec, guys. I'm going to take a quick break, hear a quick word from our sponsor, and I'm going to come right back. Stay with me. Welcome back, everybody. Segment two of this week's Everything Medicare podcast. After a quick word from this week's sponsor, I'm still here with Nick and Matt, and we are going to continue our conversation on final expense insurance. We had a great, great talk in segment one, and we're going to have a great, great talk going forward here in our second and final segment. So, guys, the next question I wanted to ask you was, when someone's looking into a final expense policy, what do you typically recommend people look for when picking one out? Because there's a lot of different carriers out there. What, what should people look for? Um, I would say that you probably want uh, people to you, – you want a company that specializes in final expense. Um, you want a company that's got a history of paying their claims quickly. Like Matt said earlier in, in, in the podcast, it's important that they're capable of paying their claims within 24 to 48 hours. Um, you want to see if they offer nursing home uh, accelerated benefit riders, um, which can avoid problems if you do end up in a nursing home. I know I keep hitting the nursing home point, but um, statistically, you've got a 50% chance of ending up in a nursing home at some point in your life, so it's a big deal. Um, and you want to make sure it's a competitively rated company um, and that they've, they've been around for a while and they've got a little bit of a history. Um, I would say more than anything, um, that's going to all be hard stuff for you as a consumer to vet, and that that is the reason why agents exist. Um, and so, rather than shopping specifically for a carrier, I would spend more time shopping for a good agent, um, and a good agent will be able to help you make sure that you're getting a company that hits those marks, that you're really getting a value um, and that you're getting the benefits that you need. Um, and it's easier to shop for a good agent because you can, you know, you can bet, you know, how many companies do you really represent? Because 
you probably shouldn't be buying your life insurance from somebody who works for the insurance company. Um, you can find out how long have you been in business. You can find out how many policies have you sold, how many policies with this particular company that you're recommending have you sold. You can ask questions to vet the agent. Um, and then if you have trust with the agent, then they're going to recommend you a good program. Yeah, if, if an agent's first part of his, his or her presentation is, I work with XYZ company, we've been in business since whenever, that means they can only sell for that one company. If the first part of the presentation is, I'm a broker of insurance, that lets you know that that agent has a multitude of companies that they can work with because not everybody qualifies for the same insurance policy where one person doesn't qualify because they had a heart attack two years ago, well, I've got somebody who will take it uh, because they had it two years ago. So there's there's definitely a vetting process that you need to have with an agent, and it's much easier than it is to find an agent than to do your research on insurance companies. And then even further, there's, Nick, how, how many insurance companies would you say there are in the, in the whole country? Oh, uh, in, like life insurance companies full stop? Thousands. Um, now, companies that specialize in final expense, you're still looking at like 50. Um, yeah. you know, if you're looking just, you just want to narrow it down to only the people that really specialize in final expense, that's still like 50 carriers. <laughs> and there's a lot yeah. of differences between the carriers. Sure. Yeah. And there's, and you, you as a, as a consumer can't do your research on every single one of those companies and say, okay, I want a policy with, this company because I like them the most. I guess you could, but it would take you a whole lot longer than just calling somebody like Nick or myself who says, okay, tell me everything that you want done and what we're working with so we can figure out the best one for you. And the best one for you may not, there's a couple companies that might be a few dollars more, but the values like the nursing income, like rider that Nick talked about, it's going to be a huge value, and I'd rather pay $2 more a month to have that on my policy than to save $2 a month and not have that on my policy. Yeah, and and, and that's why we exist. You know, that's why agents are around. This is my only job. I'm not doing this while on the side I'm working Jimmy Chicken Shack. I, I mean, this is all I do. And my job is to know these carriers, to have relationships with these carriers, to know underwriters of these carriers, to know people who are in the claims departments of these carriers. I have personal relationships with a lot of those people um, so that I can make recommendations to you with confidence. I can help your family file the claims process with confidence. Um, I can move things along for you, fix problems, help. I mean, that's, that's the point of having an agent. Um, and that's really why it's, imp- I mean, it's really why it's important that you work with somebody who is a true broker and who doesn't work just for one company, um, or even just like two or three companies, but that you're working with somebody who really isn't tied to any particular mm-hmm. company, doesn't have a vested interest in any particular company, but is there to work on your behalf to find you the best company for you. Um, And that's really a different thing for everybody. I I cannot tell you how many times I will meet with a husband and wife who say, hey, we really want to both have the same insurance company. And then when we look down and do the numbers, it just doesn't make sense. And they each should really be on a different company from the other one. Um, Because 
the value that the companies bring are different based on your health and your age and a variety of factors. Definitely. I mean, insurance is always a need-based business, you know. Um, it's all based on that person's um, preferences, needs, um, et cetera, all of the above. And um, and I, I, think, I think that's something that's so important for a bro- um, brokers to understand. And um, I agree with you completely. I've beaten that dead horse quite a bit on this podcast about captive agencies because they have an agenda. And their agenda is to sell you that insurance company's product, whether it's the best available one for you or not. And people, people need to work with somebody that's an expert in their craft. Um, yeah. L- let, me, let me transition to this, guys. What is the biggest mistake that you see people make when, it, when they're picking out a final expense plan that they could possibly easily avoid if they knew about it. Nick, I want you to talk first on this one and then Matt afterward. Um, when first selecting a final expense plan, the biggest mistake that I see people make is dismissing companies that they've never heard of out of hand. Um, there are only a couple of life insurance companies that anybody who is listening to this podcast will have ever heard of. Um, I'm, I'm not going to name them, but I'm sure as you're thinking, you can think of two or three off the top of your head. Uh, but that's it. And like Matt and I just said, there are thousands of life insurance companies out there. And a lot of the really, really good ones, like the ones that have really like excellent rates and like super high levels of customer service and everything, they never spend a dime on advertising. They do everything by word of mouth. And if you don't know them, you don't know them. Um, And those are like the premier life insurance companies. And you'll have never heard of them. Um, But that's okay with them. They don't care. They're happy with the amount of business that they do. Some of them are huge. Like there's one company that's like the fourth or fifth largest insurance company in North America. Um, And I guarantee you, if if I mentioned their name, very few people would have ever heard of them. And they're a huge company, but you know, it's just not a company people know because they don't advertise. And so that's a big thing is people going with name brand recognition over something like the actual value that the company is providing. What do you think, Matt? You know, you, you couldn't have said it better yourself, but I also see a lot of my clients have this predetermined amount of mm. the amount of insurance they think they need. So when I say, uh, you know, what are you looking to get? It's always going to be this exact amount of, I need $10,000 for, because if I ask somebody, what is the funeral cost? The people tell me $10,000 because that's what the funeral home, or $15,000, because that's what the funeral home has told everybody you need to have. Yeah. Or they think don't, they don't need any more than that. Um, but what they don't realize is the extra cost and they're, they're fixated on this one track of this is how much I'm going to spend for this before we even talk. And it really stunts a lot of people's ability. And when they, if they spend an extra 10 to $15 a month, it could help them out and their family out more importantly in the long run significantly. And, and people try to, just close mind with their budget before they even talk to the insurance agent. And that got stunts a lot. But what you said also resonates well with pretty much everybody that, that's probably listening with this. Uh, you, those companies that you've never heard of are some of the best companies out there that 
I have a company that's huge, but I call them right now, and somebody live is answering the phone saying, hey, Matt, how are you? Because they know me my name. But I also have another company that's another conglomerate, and it takes me 45 minutes just to get to the person to tell me that I'm in the wrong department, and I go back on hold for another 45 minutes. You don't I know, want that. I, I know yeah. which companies you're talking about, and I'm going to tell you the company that's the 45-minute hold is one of the companies that I guarantee everybody listening to this has heard of. Um, yeah, they've got their name on the sides of some fairly fancy buildings. But um, but that's such a good point about the about coming in with a closed mind about how much insurance that you need. Um, that's it is. <sighs> It is remarkable um, how this whole conversation is touching on things that I talked to other people about earlier today or in the week. Um, I was talking to um, an agent that we had had as a guest on our podcast once, uh, Kevin Mason, um, who was a funeral director for 20 years before he got into the final expense industry and left working for a funeral home. Um, and uh, if you're interested in how kind of funeral homes and pre-needs work and stuff, not to plug our channel too much, but that's that's a good one. Um but um, he was saying earlier to, today that, you know, if you have a $5,000 life insurance policy and you walk into a funeral home, magically your funeral is not going to cost more than $5,000 because that's what you've got. Um, if you walk into a funeral home and you've got a $10,000 life insurance policy, magically that's what it's going to cost because that's what you've got. Um, and there is a level of sometimes people are unwilling to not just spend a little bit more to get the extra coverage that they need, but sometimes their budgets really limit how much they can get, and they're unwilling to take a smaller amount of insurance because they don't think it's going to cover everything. And that also can be really problematic. You know, if you can really genuinely only afford to get a $3,000 policy, you're better off with a $3,000 policy that's going to cover a portion of your funeral costs than you are with zero. Um, and if you take that $3,000 policy into the funeral home, I guarantee you the funeral home's going to work with you. Now, you're not going to have anything left over to do all the extra stuff that you probably want and need to do like Matt needed to do for his family, but it's a whole lot better than walking in there with nothing and having the funeral home say, don't know what to tell you, write us a check. Right. You know. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's fascinating. That's fascinating that, you know, I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, that, you know, the um, the funeral home is going to determine based off of your budget and what can you give them. I don't think a lot of people realize that or think about 100%. that. 100%. Yeah. I, I actually tell my clients, I'm like, look, when you go to the funeral home, don't hate the policy because if I took out a $100 bill, and put it in front of every one of my clients and said, Miss Jones, me and your best friends, right? And you can have as much of this $100 bill as you want. How much would you take? 100% of them say, I'm going to take all of it. If you slide over a $20,000 policy to the funeral home, they're going to look and go, Miss Jones, we're going to take care of everything or we're going to take care of your mother. It looks like it's going to be $19,994. We're going to cut you a check for $6. But if you go in there with a $12,000 policy, they're going to go, well, it looks like we're going to spend $12,000 on the funeral. Don't hand that policy to the funeral director. You say, we've got the cash, and we need to shop around on prices. And you can actually go to other funeral homes 
and leverage them kind of like you do Walmart and other grocery stores and, and price shop and price match and get the funeral for cheaper because they're in business to beat other other funeral homes. And they want to yeah. beat the cost of other funeral homes. And you can leverage those. So just let them know that you've got cash and you're willing to wheel and deal to get this done at an pro- appropriate place. But if you just hand them a policy, they're going to spend as much as they can. That's their job. Yeah, and it is amazing when you start to meet people who work in the funeral industry. How many people who run funeral homes used to sell cars? Um, it is it is a shocking overlap <laughs> in the number of former car dealers and the number of funeral funeral directors. And I mean, uh, I mean, it sucks to say, but it it is reality. You know, funeral homes are a business like anything else, and it's a sales job. They are there to sell you stuff. Um, they're there to sell you stuff at a time of need, but they're still there to sell you stuff. Um, and well, um, mostly they care about people and they're in the business because they care about people, but it doesn't change the fact that they make their money off of how big of a funeral you buy. I'll, I'll reference my grandmother one more time. I went to my grandmother's funeral and they said, oh, the funeral director was great friends with grandmother. And I said, fantastic. And I, and I looked at the casket, and I said, how much did this casket cost, Mr. Funeral Director? She said, we got a great price. It cost her only $4,000. And he knew I knew what I was talking about when I pulled up the website, and I said, well, that same casket online only cost $995, and we could have shipped it to you and had it there for free, and you would have had to take it. And he went, um, I got to go somewhere else. Right. They bought that casket for $1,200,000 and marked up the price and sold it to their best friend at the time, Grandma, because guess what? It was time to make money, and they made two, $3,000 getting that same casket. It was the exact same casket that I looked up online. I said, that's the exact casket that my grandmother had. And, she, and the family overspent because they went to the funeral home and said, they handed her the twenty thousand dollar policy, and they spent eighteen thousand dollars on her funeral. Yeah. No. Well, I think I think that's um, a lot of people don't realize that, but that's that's such good information to know because you need to be aware of these things because when you don't, you get taken advantage of. Um, one last question I have for you guys, and then we'll close this thing out. Um, I know this answer varies based on the personal situation. But if you had to say, what would you say would be the perfect amount of insurance for someone that's picking up a final expense plan? If, if you had to guess. Um, and, and, and I'll start with you, Nick, and then I want to hear from okay. Matt. Okay. Um, so for, for me, I would say that the right amount of insurance for you is an amount that you feel that you can easily afford. And I know that sounds a little bit like a cop-out answer. <laughs> Politically I was, correct. I was kind of thinking. I, I was gonna. I was kind of thinking about it. Um, you know, uh, I'll reference my friend Kevin again. Um, when he did our YouTube ch- channel, he said, you know, nationally the average funeral, if you're doing a full burial, is about eighty-five hundred dollars. But locally, where he lives in Ohio and around most major metropolitan areas, this runs closer to twelve dollars to $15,000 um, on average. And so, yeah, you could say that the best amount for you to get is twelve dollars to $15,000 of coverage. Um, if you're younger, 
uh, Social Security Administration keeps track of these types of things, and they figure that somebody who is about 60 right now realistically actually needs closer to twenty to $25,000 because statistically they're going to live for another 25 to 30 years. And um, it's going to get more expensive. And, you know, they just, you, you can pull up, you can pull up uh, graphs that show what the sweep of inflation is on funeral costs. Um, and, you know, twenty to $25,000 for somebody who is in their younger 60s or their late 50s is a better amount of coverage. Um, if you're in your 80s, you probably need closer to what the actual cost of a funeral is right now. So it swings a little bit depending on who you are and how old you are, but none of it matters if you cannot afford to keep up with your premium payments because a policy that you have in force when you die is better than a policy that you don't. And no matter how much everybody says this is important and this really matters, when push comes to shove, um, the policy, your final expense policy, when finances get tough, is going to be one of the first things that gets dropped. It just, I've, it, I've just seen it happen over and over and over again. And maybe you'll get, you'll be able to pick it back up again someday. Um, I did this on Thursday. I spent most of my day on Thursday contacting clients who had had a policy for multiple years and then had canceled it for some reason. And I just went through and I had a, I had a free day with some time on my hands and I just called them all up and, and said, hey, you know, I, I noticed you'd had your policy for a number of years, but you dropped it. Um, can, is there something we can do? Can we get you back on the books? And a lot of them just said, yeah, I had a financial emergency come up that I hadn't planned for and that I didn't expect. And I do want to get my life insurance back now because that financial emergency has passed, but I had to lose my life insurance during that period of time. And they get back on the plan and it costs them more now, um, or they have to take less insurance now because they're older or their health has changed, um, which is fine. At least they've got coverage. Um, one of the people that I called died while they, while they were uninsured. And there's nothing you can do about that. Um, so I always caution people, you know, look at your budget, buy a policy that you feel that you can easily afford. Even when stuff goes wrong, even when you have crazy unexpected expenses, you want a policy that you know you'll always be able to keep no matter what happens. Yep. I, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm going to try to articulate this uh, in a way that, that, that gives a number because, you know, saying always do what you can afford is 100% correct. And generally the way that I tell my clients, you know, you know you're going to be able to afford this is anywhere between 4 or 5 to 7 to 8% of your monthly income should go towards your final expense insurance or your insurance policy to take care of, of this. And what, and so on a, on a number scale, if somebody says, Matt, I, I've got $1,500 a month in income, uh, 4% comes out to about 60 bucks and you know, 7% comes up about $105. That should be, you know, in between those numbers is where you should be able to feel comfortable and that if an emergency comes up, you don't have to drop your policy because you don't want to drop your policy. Just like you said, he called somebody back and they had, they went on dialysis or they had, now they're, they've got dementia or something like that happened. And now that person is no longer insurable where if they would have kept that policy, 
they would have been insurable. The company can't go back and tell you they can no longer insure you because you have a new health problem. They have to keep you once you're locked in. As long as you're paying your premiums, you're always going to be covered with that company. So I tried to, I, I was again trying to do it on a, you know, percentage base, and that's kind of where most of my clients fit. You know, in someone's Income might be a thousand dollars. Someone's income might be three thousand dollars, and it doesn't mean that you need to spend that much. But generally, four to eight percent is where you should feel comfortable paying without having to worry about paying for rent or food or water or gas or medicine or things for the grandkids. You always want to have enough money for everything else, but you definitely want to make sure that this is a priority and you have that money set aside for this. Well, I think those both were very good answers, um, and I agree. I agree completely, you know, as someone that, you know, it's not my niche, but I've worked in the final expense market for my own clients, and I think those, I think that's a great place for people to focus on. Um, guys, I wanted to give you a chance at the end here to talk about your businesses each, um, respectively. How can people get in touch with you if someone is listening and they just really identify with something that you said and they want to talk with you and they want to get more information and maybe they want to work with you on a plan. Um, what states do you guys work in, first of all, because we're almost nationwide now? Um, what states can you work with somebody in? How can someone get a hold of you? And talk a little bit about your business. Matt, I want you to talk first about yours and then Nick, uh, um, follow follow afterward. Cool. Um so I, if, if somebody, if something I said resonated with somebody and you don't understand what type of policy you have and you want to reach out to me, um, I'll give you my email address. And Christian, you want me to, is it okay if I give out my number, my office number in case someone of wants course. to call me there? And I may not be immediately available, but I'll definitely give those people a call back. Um, my, my office number is 803-543-0266. Uh, that's my office number, and you can leave a message. Uh, I'll receive it. And if I pick up, great. If I don't, just give me a few moments. I might, I might be with a client, so I'll, I'll definitely get back to you. And my email address is mmurray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, at teamifg.com. So mmurray at teamifg.com is my email address. And then, again, my number is 803-543-0266. And uh, I tell people, you know, it's, uh, I, I tell people you can call me at any time, but please don't call me at midnight because I won't answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm in bed. Generally, my working times are between 8 a.m. and about 7 p.m. It's, it's about the last time that I'll pick up the phones with people. Um, but I have had clients tell me, you know, call me at 2 a.m. asking about a policy, and I went, guys, it's, I, there's not an insurance emergency that I can do at 2 a.m. So just, I just understand I won't answer the phone at 2 a.m. We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. So I guess I will go. Um, so uh, Nick Frumpkin, um, if you would like to talk to me um, about Medicare or final expense planning or any of the above, um, probably most stuff that gets talked about on this show, uh, I'd be happy to help you with. I only personally work with people who live in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, that said, I do know people in almost all 50 states, and uh, I'd be more than happy to refer somebody out 
to somebody who works locally to you. Um, I don't, I don't like doing business over the phone or by computer or anything like that. It's just not comfortable for me. Um, I'd rather meet you face to face and develop a relationship. Um, but you can email me at Nick Frumkin, N I C K S like Frank, R U M like Mary, K I N like Nancy, at P A Life Solutions, uh, solutions with an S on the end dot com. Um, that's my email address for my company, Pennsylvania Life Solutions. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Pennsylvania Life Solutions. Uh, feel free to post on there. Give us a like. Um, send me a message. You can message me through Facebook uh, if that's comfortable for you. Um, I hesitate to give out my phone number on something that's going to be broadcast nationally. Uh, but what the heck? Uh, if you <laughs> wanted to call me, you can call me at 484-857-2232. Um, and that's my direct line. So you'll get me, but just be aware I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, and so if you are calling me, uh, be calling me on Eastern time. Uh, but I'm happy to talk to anybody who has any questions. And, um, the last thing I'd like to plug is I would like to plug our YouTube channel, the insurance panel one more time. Um, if you are listening to this because you are an agent, uh, and you are looking to learn more about final expense from an agent's perspective, um, well, listen, anybody who's out there listening to this and, and wants to watch our YouTube channel is more than welcome to come watch. I don't Please think do. it would be interesting. Like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how interesting it'll be for you if you're not selling final expense, but maybe it is. Let us know. Um, but uh, if you are an agent and you're listening to this, um, feel free to subscribe, like, comment, let us know if you want to hear something. We have guests on all the time. Uh, we just recently did uh, an episode on cross-selling file, uh, Medicare. We're going to be having some great guests coming up in the future um so let us know and um thanks so much for having us on yeah and i and sorry sorry to jump in but i forgot to tell uh where i'm able to do any business if somebody wanted to reach out to me from a different state oh yeah yeah go ahead um, Matt. i'm currently licensed in yeah i'm currently licensed in, in nine states um, but if it makes sense for me to pick up a license in another state and it, generally to get a non-resident in another state it generally takes anywhere between three to five days to get that. Um, if it makes sense and you want to do this with me, I can get that. And some of the companies I can do, I can do over the phone or over an e-app. Um, not all companies. Some of the companies you have to do face-to-face, so I'm not going to travel to – I'm not going to drive across the country to come sign somebody up to Iowa. Um, but if you're in my neighboring states, I would love to meet you face-to-face. But if, if it's something that we can do over the phone – I'm happy to help get those done over the phone as well. Great, great. Well, um, guys, thank you so much for all of your information and all of your wisdom and knowledge. And um, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. I know the audience appreciates it. And um, you guys are you guys are awesome, and we can't thank you enough for the time. Well, thanks again. It was really fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. Great. Well, well everybody listening at home, Thank you so much. This is our 80th episode. Um, I'm still doing my free book giveaway to anybody that's listening. So if you go to Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review and write something nice about me, maybe not too many mean things would be appreciated, 
I will send, and, and you take a screenshot of it. Send me an email at christianb at xmission.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B at xmissio-n.com, christianb at xmission.com, and include your name, your best mailing address, and I will send you, I will ship you a copy of my book, Medicare Guidance, Picking the Plan for You, for free. I'm only going to be doing that until the end of August, so take advantage now. Tune in next week for episode 81 and 82. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.